As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela Yee is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh. Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. Listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. What's happening, pod people? Who ever says pod people? Whoever does, seriously, should be slapped in the face. But thanks for joining us on this journey down the independent music rabbit hole where we talk to all of the people who are putting out all the stuff and documenting this scene. I often describe this podcast as a audio zine. Because essentially, that's what I'm trying to do here, trying to build context for around what these creators are doing, what these people who are documenting our independent music scene, punk, hardcore, metal, whatever you want to call it, as long as it's uh, of that DIY variety, that's what we do here on this pod. And today is a great, great conversation with a guy who is often referred to as a legend of the Salt Lake City music scene. Gentry Densley. He plays in a band called Iceburn, um, and he has done, I think he also played in Ascend, if I'm not mistaken, with uh, Greg Anderson, or yeah, I could be completely mixing that up, but what he is mainly known for is Iceburn, and uh, he, Iceburn is a long-running band project, whatever you want to call it, who just recently released a a new two-song I was I was going to say EP, but this thing clocks in at over 40 minutes, so, uh, you know, maybe full length, I would argue, uh, that just got released on Southern Lord Records. But this dude has put out a ton of really creative material with some really interesting labels, you know, Victory, Revelation, Southern Lord, has done so much cool stuff, and I've been a fan of Iceburn for a long time. I've really enjoyed, I mean, all the way from their first 7-inch that came out on Victory, and then their Fire on LP. That one I remember getting from a Victory Records mail order catalog because I had liked the song that got included on a comp at some point, and I was like, "Let me uh, let me check this out." And then listening to it and being like, "What the hell is this? I like this, but I don't know where to put this in my brain." But anyways, that's 
that's Iceburn in a nutshell. But Gentry was a great conversation. So let's talk to him in a moment. But of course, there's always some things that you can do to support this show. For one, tell your friends, tell people who care about independent music and conversations, because that's the best way for this show to grow. And uh, I've been noticing a little uptick in the downloads, and I appreciate that. That means uh, you're doing exactly what I'm telling you to, or it's just you know increasing exponentially from an audience perspective organically. Either way, I appreciate that. So tell your friends. You can also share this show on social media, tag guests, you know, do whatever you people do on social media. I act like I'm better than that, but you know, I know what you do on social media. I exist, except I'm not on TikTok. Because I mean, I, I just feel weird about TikTok. I'm sure you do. Maybe if you are of a certain age, uh, I just feel like that's a, a rabbit hole that I can trip down and probably never come out because that's why TikTok exists. But. Anyways, uh, yeah, and then you can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts for the show. It makes it look legitimate in the eyes of the algorithm. So please do that if you you know want to toss a few stars that direction or write some sentences about this show. I would appreciate that. And you can always email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. That is uh, always open for you to say what's up because, uh, yeah, I, I respond to emails. I like to be in contact with you, the audience member. Um, it's funny because my 10-year-old my son... He often asks me because, you know, he, as most kids that exist on the internet, uh, when I say on the internet, he just watches YouTube videos, let's be clear. But he's like, do you get fan mail, daddy? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I get I get people that write me emails occasionally. And, uh, you know, he's like, so is that fan mail? I'm like, I mean, I guess, but it's not like, he's like <laughs> and then, he, <laughs> then he follows it up by saying, maybe, maybe you should put your address on your website so people can send you fan mail. <laughs> And I'm like, oh my gosh, I love children. Just so innocent. It's beautiful. But anyways, all that aside, Gentry is on the show. Let's talk about Salt Lake City and Iceburn and everything that this man has put out in the world. So let's go. I will, uh, I will take you back to uh, Fire On because that was my first exposure to Iceburn as a young, fledgling, hardcore child, you know, 15, 16 years old and understanding the world of Victory Records. And, uh, you know, I was obsessed with everything that Victory put out, um, you know, even listening to, you know, Hi-Fi, the Roadburners or whatever, being like, oh, this is good, I guess. But <laughs> I, I just remember my first interaction where it, it, legitimately broke my brain listening to fire on because I was like, I, I see where you're coming from because there's aggressiveness to it. But at the same time, there were so many things that I was not familiar with in any capacity. And the song fall in particular, which I'm fairly certain was on a compilation and that's how I heard of it. Mm. It, it, it was, yeah, like I said, I just, I was, I was confused, but I was intrigued I'm going to guess that my experience is very reflective over the way that people have reacted to most of your music and not in a bad way, but just in a, you know, in a way that's like, hmm, this uh, defies categorization, but there's stuff in there that I like and I am intrigued. Am I correct in that? Yeah, sure. And anytime that we 
maybe <laughs> we didn't stay on one thing long enough, I guess. We kept pushing those boundaries every time, every record. And it was us, you know, going through our own learning curve and, and life um, in pursuit of higher music, you know. So I think, uh, yeah, we definitely threw everything we knew into into those through our own special little filters. Right. <laughs> right. And I, I, I think too, I mean, I'm thankful that a band like you can exist within the context of the independent music scene where it's like, you know, I would never have run across all of the different musical genres that you were shoving into this blender. If it was like, you know, if someone was like, Hey, I'm going to play you a free jazz record at 16. I'll be like, Psh. No, I don't want to listen to that. <laughs> but packaged in the way that you did, it allowed, you know, kids, and I use that maybe in air quotes, to explore different genres of music that they normally wouldn't be exposed to. Yeah. And for us, we saw parallel maybe energies, similar energy in the music and similar like ethos, revolutionary kind of spirits, you know, from whatever Miles Davis to Stravinsky. So we were definitely thinking, you know, those guys were punk for in their day for what they were doing. So um, that was kind of our perspective. Sure. No, it's a very valid point because going against the grain with whatever music style you are participating in is not popular. And, <laughs> and that's that same notion of, clearly the entire DIY punk and hardcore ecosystem was built off of. So it's just viewed it through a different lens. So I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so putting the focus on you and I'll, I'll pull a little bit of a uh, different th threads a little bit later in regards to all your music, but you, were you actually born and raised in Salt Lake city? No. Um, born in up midway. It's kind of up in the mountains. It's a, it was a Swiss community. Um, they thought it kind of was like the Alps up there, and it and it very much is. Um, so it's, you know, Park City is a little bit away from Salt Lake, um, and then we're another mountain range over. Um, so, but I ended up going to college in Salt Lake. Um, I did spend a bit in Vegas as well as a young boy my dad was a golf pro so we bounced around to places that had you know year-round access to golf <laughs> like vegas right. Uh, right right i saw snow there once but um yeah so mostly in utah and later i grew up uh, you know went other places lived in california and la san francisco blah 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 but definitely through you know, high school and college ended up up here in Salt Lake a lot. Sure. The, it's interesting with your father being a golf pro. So basically he jumped around to different sort of, you know, clubs and golf courses to be able to be that resident pro there. Sure. Yeah. And we even, we were out in Roosevelt, Utah, which is out very East desert and out by, um, you know, uh, Indian reservations and dinosaur excavations. So it was kind of crazy 
weird little place out there, Roosevelt. I forgot about that. But yeah, (laughs) almost like a military kid, you know, bouncing around every few years. But we always ended up in either Midway or, you know, somewhere in Utah. Got it. Yeah. And what was your family structure like? Like, I don't know if you have, I mean, I know you have a younger brother, um, but what else did the household look like? Oh, yeah. Lots of sisters and a couple brothers. Um, My sister Nikki was actually in Lifeless. Um, Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Okay. So she played bass and um, that band kind of ended tragically. But um, yeah, and my little brother Tyler is a tattoo artist in um, bands like Ludax and um, other things. He kind of came up doing art for Iceburn on Fire and his, you know, like seven-year-old scribbles are on that. Because I'm like 13 years older than him, I think. Okay. So we had a big spread out family. I was the oldest. Um, and yeah, so four ended up being four sisters and two brothers. So three boys, seven. I don't know. Big yeah. Utah kind of <laughs> kind of thing for sure. <laughs> that definitely is uh, symptomatic of uh, Utah in general. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, did your, uh, I guess, were your parents a part of the uh, Mormon faith, as it were, or was this just completely separate from that? It, they actually weren't. It was weird. Um, where I grew up, Midway was more of a mining kind of community from Park City. And my grandpa was like mayor and then worked at the state parks as a ranger. But um, what happened, we moved to Vegas, like I said, and my parents actually joined the Mormon church there. And so I kind of came up in it for a bit. I think I was in third grade or so maybe. Um, and then by the time I hit high school, I was very much like, I, this is, I see so much hypocrisy. I'm going to kind of do my own thing. Um, and luckily there was straight edge. So I could kind of be like in their eyes, a good kid, but still be into hardcore and skating and crazy music, you know? Right. It does. That affords you the ability. I mean, I'm 40 years old and I still define myself as straight edge, but there, I, I always really liked that. Not a free pass, but that once you explain straight edge to your parents, it was like, Oh, so you're not going to get completely intoxicated and drive drunk or whatever. It's like, Oh, you're just going to be stupid with your friends in some sweaty rooms. Yeah. Although some Salt Lake straight editors may have taken it too far, we as we know, I I, I would uh, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> I was thinking, somebody should make a documentary about that, but maybe they will. Yeah, it it is interesting. I mean that that was a, such a confluence of events going into certain scenes, especially where it's like you know because Reno had a, a violent straight edge culture in Salt mm. Lake City, and it's just like. And there was always violence in like Boston and Philly, but yeah, it would be interesting to kind of like trace the roots back. Like where did it actually begin? Like, and why did it happen in Salt Lake city? (laughs) You know? Well, I mean, I was there, but (laughs) right. Yeah. You're like, I know why. (laughs) No, not, not necessarily. I mean, we, our little first wave of it, you know, insight and better way was my band. And, um, Sadhana was like a Krishna band that was around there. It was like, 
we had this place called the Unity House, which was Mark from Insights Place mm-hmm. and the Unity Crew. We were just, and so we were all into the positive PMA, you know, good stuff. And, but then, you know, you're attracted to that little darker anger edge. And uh, as, as the scene grew, I think it more grew in that direction, of course. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, and you're, I think people, that you know started to follow down that line you had all of these outside influences as well as like you know the whole direct action and vegan community like once mm-hmm. that all started to impact that as well it was like you know just a perfect storm where people could be like oh yes i'm going to do all of these things and 99 percent of it's illegal yeah yeah, yeah. um and so it's interesting you being the you know first kid on the scene and then you kind of being able to explore all of these interesting subcultures that I'm sure your parents had no real context for. And then all of your siblings kind of having this touch point as well. Was it, did you find yourself like your interests clearly bleeding down to the rest of your siblings? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. It became very much a generational thing. Um, and even within the scene, but, um, yeah, it's funny how those things go. Um, definitely the tastes and right what everybody became vegetarian all the kids basically um and vegan uh, you know um a lot of them still are so yeah it's kind of interesting how i guess they say lead by example and so right <laughs> And how how did your parents react to you i mean like you said there was that permissiveness in regards to you know, them feeling okay with you getting involved with this stuff and straight edge and everything. But how, like, did they just kind of look at this as being like, okay, Gentry's bringing this home. This seems relatively positive. So we'll let them run with this. Or were they just kind of like, I, I have no, like, I have no concept of this. So we're just going to let him do it. (laughs) Yeah. A little bit of that. Um, I would say, I think the vegetarianism was the hardest thing for them to wrap you know, their heads around, or at least, yeah. And my grandparents and things just like that was mind boggling to them that you would want to be like that or pursue that kind of lifestyle. And so we had a lot of discussions, you know, and, uh, I was pretty strong willed in those regards. And, um, so maybe that had a bit of, influence going down but um yep yeah (laughs) they were once the music started i don't know i think they were a little disappointed i was going into electrical engineering and then i kind of got my butt kicked it was just so much work um and after a couple years at college i took a music class and I ended up getting all A's and I was like, I really love learning about music. So I'm just, I'm like, I'm going to get a degree, but it's going to be in music. Um, right. So that's it. what ended up happening. I think that may have been, so the vegetarianism and the music degree, those are hard pills to swallow. <laughs> sure. Especially on a path, like you were saying, there's this yeah. real pack practical application of working with your hands and then you're like, I'm still going to work with my hands, just a whole different thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so as you were, you know, like 
basically building your identity and coming more into you know yourself were you uh you know were you outgoing did you find yourself you know mixing it up with the other weirdos in your school like you know where did you kind of find yourself no i mean i've always been pretty introverted um but yeah in high school uh that's where chubba the drummer for iceburn in the currently now and in the beginning um he was he was like a little bit younger than me but we always hung out and skated and got into the same all the same music and we kind of came to it through all the skate rock stuff and some thrash and you know those thrasher comps um Mm -hmm. and and luckily we also had brad collins um who owned Ranch Records, and he would do a radio show, you know, every Saturday night or maybe it was Sunday. But you could record those, and then you have this tape just full of crazy, you know, he was playing all the coolest punk music, and he was also bringing the bands in. So, um, but in high school, I mean, I hung out with him and maybe one other kind of dude that (laughs) we liked skating and there's more cowboys than skateboarders for sure. Sure. Um, and I ended up um, coming up to Salt Lake and because I had gone to one like year of middle school in Sandy, Utah, which is part of Salt Lake. And so I had this old buddy, Paul Iba, and uh, he was friends with all these other guys in the skating scene and so and those guys ended up being you know eventually it was starting bands like insight so um but i would come down on the weekends um and go to shows with them um and go skate around the city um there's a place alice's pretty early on you know seeing the descendants and local things like stench and I think COC was touring around then. So that kind of lit a fire in me for sure to see all of that. And that group of friends that we kind of made then is still pretty tight to this day. Listen, I could wear a different band shirt for pretty much every day of an entire year, if not a year and a half. You want your closet to look like that, right? Or maybe not. But the place where you can buy all of your band merch is rockabilia.com. And when I say all of your band merch, I mean all of it. Because like I was just I went on the website. Well, first of all, before I go into that, you need to use this promo code. Hundred words podcast will give you 10% off your entire order. And that's like that's free money, okay? Because you're going to order this stuff no matter what. But I just popped onto their website was and this just shows you how wide of a palette that they paint with in regards to the bands they stock. They got everything from, you know, Beatles and Black Sabbath all the way down to like, hey, you want a Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young polo shirt? Or how about a Chicago baseball cap? Or how about a Lauren Hill baseball cap? They just have so much stuff that you will have a ball going into their website, ordering some stuff, having it shipped out to you from an independently owned business straight out of the Midwest, I love what they do, and uh, you've heard me espouse their awesomeness for many, many episodes. So what are you waiting for? Use the promo code 100WordsPodcast, 10% off, and you will reap the benefits 
of ordering band merch and having your closet look like some version of mine, which may lead you down a very dark road of collecting band merch, but that's neither here nor there. But rockabilly.com, the place to go. 100 Words Podcast is the promo code. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like, the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. And what I what I find interesting about the you know the the musical path that you went on is because there was clearly a lot of different influences going into you know as you were starting you know iceberg and figuring it out because you know usually and i know you did play like you mentioned you know a better way which was you know youth crew sort of posy hardcore stuff but usually you know your first bands are are pretty terrible like you'd have no idea what you're doing and you know you could arguably look at you know the earlier iceburn releases and just be like oh yeah we had no idea what we were doing but you were always doing like really really out there stuff in the context of the hardcore scene and the punk scene and so the the motivation to pull in these different influences without getting kind of like made fun of even though maybe you guys did get made fun of like you know how what gave you i guess the for lack of a better term, like courage to do yeah. that, to be like, yeah, we're, we're combining all this stuff. We don't care. Hmm. I mean, definitely one touch point, I would say the, there's this band, the bad yodelers. Um, and they were huge for us and our scene uh, early on. Um, Carl Alvarez, who was in descendants and then all 
later. He was he was a local Salt Lake guy. Him and um, Stefan from that you know those bands. <laughs> mm-hmm. They joined Bill Stevenson, um, and and so they were kind of the generation older than me. And um, with the Bad Yodlers, the drummer wrote everything, and he was classically trained, um, and but super into Metallica, and so like we heard these things in their music and um, I think definitely wanted to explore that more. Um, And Brent, who is that drummer, you know, from the bad yodlers, he actually um, engineered and recorded fire and with us or fire on. I say fire because it's like fire and iron together. Sure. Sure. Um, but, um, yeah, so he helped us record those. And I remember we were playing Winter in the studio. And it has this passage that I basically um, kind of adapted from Vivaldi's Winter. And and uh, I remember him in the middle. He was like, what? He's like, hmm, I write, what is that progression? And so it was fun to, like, um, I don't know surprise him or impress him with that. And um, that's just one example of thing. I, we just kind of threw all sorts of stuff in there that meant something to us. And we thought was cool. Like we sure. didn't play all of Vivaldi's winter, but we definitely took some crazy bits from it that are um, kind of, I don't know. They definitely fit that world of um, hardcore and, and and metal, I guess. Um, so, we were but you just didn't. I mean, I, I guess that it's just like, yeah, you obviously didn't care like about the. <laughs> you no, know, and I mean that in a positive way, where you guys were like, okay, like this is what we're going to do, you know irregardless of the way that people are going to, you know, look weird at us. Cause there is that level of insecurity, especially when you are younger. Like, I don't even care if you're in your early twenties, just that idea that like, yeah, if we're not hitting that mosh part, just right. Like, you know, people are going to be like, geez, this is like a, you know, three headed Hydra playing in front of us. Like what the (laughs) hell, you know? (laughs) And so, yeah, I just, you know, whatever, I'm just blowing smoke up your butt, but just that that level of courage of being like, yeah, this is, this is what we're doing. We don't care. (laughs) We were definitely a little, you know, self-absorbed and, and didn't, I mean, not that we didn't care. I think we, we just thought we're going to do what we think is super cool. And of course, hopefully people will think it's cool too. Right. I don't know. Yeah. It sounds awesome. So, um, that's what you followed. Yeah. (laughs) Right. That makes sense. Um, and so, like you said, when you were going to you know college and and switching the idea of a sort of career path, whatever that may mean, um, yeah. and, and I'm guessing during that, like, is when you were in college, is that when Iceburn was kind of forming and you were yeah. playing shows? Yep. Um, okay. Definitely. You know, some music classes are informing uh, that first record. <laughs> So, um, and, and that's cool. And then it, you know, it's kind of became more intense and maybe abstract from there, but, um, yeah, cause with, 
we were just absorbing tons of stuff, friends working at music stores and uh, trying to play music all the time, practicing all the time. So um, I don't know. I just look back and there's so many things that were um, coming together to influences from, Mm -hmm. yeah, from Chubba was really into Jane's addiction and then I'm really into breadwinner. And so it's like, (laughs) wow. What's going right. to happen there? <laughs> <laughs> and how, uh, on a semi-related t- tangent, how long did you, I, I guess, like, you know, keep straight edge going? Like, was that something that, you know, lasted you up until you were, you know, in your mid twenties or like, how did that kind of, you know, fade out of your life? If it did. Um, for me, um, personally I was, yeah, straight edge and veget- vegetarian, mostly vegan, throughout the entire life of Iceburn. And then it was only later um, in maybe when I hit 40, I think, or something um, that I realized I needed some kind of different proteins in my life and, and had to adjust my diet and things. Um, And I may have found some beer before then. Um, but yeah, I, I stuck it out for quite a while, at least. Um, the, uh, well, I mean, the, re- the reason I do bring that up and pardon the interruption, but just the, that, that notion again of like, you know, when you're, you're a hardcore kid, you're one thing. And then, you know, when you place other labels on yourself, you're, you know, another thing on top of that thing. And then again, like being able to expand past that, like that's a, you know, you were, uh, it, it's difficult to transcend some of those labels to where it's just like, oh, Gentry's you know new band is like not a posse core band and it's going to be doing that. Like, what are you doing? Like, this doesn't make sense. And you're still straight edge. Like, what the hell, dude? This is weird, you know? Yeah. And for us, it was just uh, certain things feel right or whatever. And yeah, and yeah, we learned a lot from um, other bands and band members and friends see people go down bit different paths so um all sorts of cautionary tales in the scene right right yeah and i i don't mean to you know kind of belabor or hammer home that point but it's just it's i just find it so uh, unique because people do stick into their lanes especially when it comes to music and those formative years of where you're shoving so much stuff in your head you're like some people don't allow themselves to listen to it's like, Oh yeah. Like I can only listen to, you know, like anything earth crisis related. And, you know, like (laughs) they don't expand past that. Like even as something is, you know, benign is like listening to pop punk where it's just like, Oh dude, you don't listen to that. It's like, what, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, I do. (laughs) So anyways, the, (laughs) I just, uh, yeah, like I said, I just find it, so fascinating because there's a singular path that you have followed that doesn't, you know, that bucks a lot of trends. So way to go, Gentry. (laughs) Um, and because of that, like, I know that, you know, with your connections with, uh, you know, victory and revelation, I presume a lot of that function was based on the fact that that was your network. So that is kind of who you were going to work with from a business perspective. Uh, Am I correct in that assumption? Yeah, I think with, once we moved with Jordan, he was kind of, he's like anything you guys want to do. He kind of trusted that we knew what we wanted to do and um, kind of had an artistic vision. There was some other label sniffing around because it was 
of course that heyday of like you know Atlantic Records A and R guys picking up all the bands they can, and uh, I think there was something with one of this. Bowie label, David Bowie had some side label or something. And, and we just, we were afraid we had seen like, um, some of our friends, like Zach from Rage Against the Machine kind of get sucked into a machine, even though they, you know, they were doing lots of cool stuff, but they're, we didn't want our lives to be that really like, uh, and, we just wanted to kind of follow our path. And I think Jordan just was like, yeah, whatever you want to do, you know, I'll, you know, help you record it, distribute it, all of that. Um, so we definitely stuck with him because of that. Also Stormy Shepard. Um, she was initially like our booking agent. I think her first tour was the inside tour. Um, and then, you know, she ends up in the mid nineties picking up a rancid and offspring and green day. She was booking all those bands when they really exploded and, but she would still book stuff for us too. And so we end up on these kind of weird tours where sometimes we're opening for the offspring and sometimes not. And, um, <laughs> that's it. That's it. I, I, I knew of those shows exist. I just didn't know Stormy was involved with that, but it does make sense. So like, yeah, what, for sure. I, I guess what sticks out as some of those like completely hilarious pairings that you're just like, wow, we did not make sense playing in front of that crowd at all, but it was fun. Oh yeah. And we got th- stuff thrown at us sometimes like in Denver. Or, I remember with the uh, offspring when they were just finally, you know, picking up some steam and getting big. Um, we were (laughs) with them and we pissed some people off. So (laughs) we continued to for years after that, I'm sure. Right. (laughs) I just love, I just love that notion, especially to like a a band like offspring that's completely blowing up and you know, you guys are playing ostensibly in front of, you know, way more people than you ever would on your own. And then just like completely punishing the audience of like, Hey, you guys are going to (laughs) get, You guys are not going to get, you know, got to keep us separated. You're going to get us, uh, you know, 30, 30 minutes of a, a one song or whatever. Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And, <laughs> and again, that just goes into everything we were talking about before, where it's just like, we're going to do this thing. And then hopefully some people will understand enough of what we're doing either at that particular time or, you know, maybe in retrospect as they start to look back on that stuff. Not like you had the foresight for that, but... <laughs> No, it was just a path we were on. We maybe we figured people would catch up, but I don't know. I think, yeah, yeah. Talk. The new record feels like it's well received in a way, but it actually harkens back, you know, to earlier um, methodologies that we we were using. Sure, absolutely. The um, so as you started to you know get out and tour with Iceburn and the the implications of being a quote unquote real band, you know, like getting paid for shows and stuff like that. Like how did you navigate the the business side of the band or was that something that you just sort of knew you had to encounter and then just dealt with it as it came? Or was that something you actually enjoyed working with? No, we didn't even really think of that. We just typically, 
scrounged up enough money to make it work. And um, we, yeah, <laughs> we weren't really, I don't know what we were thinking. We, but we, we definitely um, weren't thinking about money, really. Um, just having enough to get a burrito or get everybody, uh, you know, I think we had like a $10 per diem or something from the band and um, Jordan would help us buy a van if, if things got dire, things like that. But we had some crazy tours and I'm sure we all lost some money at various points. Sure. <laughs> um, there's as, as one does. Yep. And, uh, but it wasn't really like that. we, for for at least the half of the life um i was doing school full time and so we just tour in the summer for a bit um and stormy would book those and a lot of times they're really cool or people would maybe even just pay you something cuz they know stormy's going to bring some other band through you know mm-hmm. um that so and you don't need much to make it by like that. And we weren't really looking for that. So, um, yeah, we were kind of more f- focused on music and what we wanted to be creating and how to get it out there. Right. Yeah. The, the, the business was, uh, you know, on a list of a hundred things that was probably the 99th thing you were concerned about. Yeah, it was. Right. <laughs> if that, yeah. If it even, yeah, made if list. that, <laughs> what uh, how did you like touring because i know that as you're touring like the beginning of it is very exciting and then you know people's sure. relationship evolves with touring um how did you kind mm-hmm. of find it over time yeah it's it's pretty tough um i think even today for anybody going out um it can be pretty hard lots of long drives and especially we're kind of in the middle of nowhere you got to go you know pretty long haul denver's the closest or boise in there you know eight to ten hours depending on how you're going but um i think later touring has been a little nicer like touring in europe um People treat you a bit better in in the states, especially in the '90s. It was pretty rough. Uh, <laughs> sure. And uh, yeah, you're not making enough to really spend on a hotel or anything. So um, I remember Ed Rodriguez was in the band later. We toured, and he had this whole huge bag of chocolate chip cookies from his mom that he lived off. And then he had a bag of tortillas that he lived off as well, but <laughs> just always had, had something. It was vegetarian though. So that's sure. Um, <laughs> I love that where it's like, it's the care package at the beginning of tour that is going oh, to yeah. last the entire tour. And then there's like a, you know, a package of uh, 12 white t-shirts and then whatever a band gives you on the road. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, we, but um, I don't know. I still, I don't love the touring or traveling, maybe. Um, typically, you have a lot of downtime and it's hard to keep busy. Um, I always was wanting to, 
use that time, you know, focus on something. Um, so, um, I ended up trying to, you know, write or, or play. And it, and it was good for most of my groups, I guess we've like ice burner, Eagle twin. We, we try to play something different every night. And, um, so during the day we're kind of talking about creating the set and, or at least a roadmap for it and how we're going to get from the beginning to the end. And that can be, um, pretty fun, a good creative exercise. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I always feel you, so you like get to the town in, in the old Iceburn days. Yeah. Get there, like get some bunch of coins or get out the dialer later. Um, and, call the promoter or the club and then look up in the phone book where the vegetarian restaurant is, or maybe you had a little, one of those booklets that told you where all the vegetarian restaurants are and (laughs) seek that out, seek out the health food place or something. And, and so it was kind of a little ritual that you would end up doing. Sometimes we had the, the same spot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then your day is made. You're just like, Hey, we got some we got some coffee, we got some sweet vegan eats, and uh, that that's great. That's all we need for today. <laughs> and I remember going to Chicago. There was a place in the South Side called uh, uh, Soul Vegetarian. Oh yeah, and we, I think, yeah, we were the whitest kids in there for sure. Um, but that that was an amazing place, and they treated us great. So. Yeah, you were. It's like we're used to, uh, you know, serving the uh, the the Jamaicans of the South Side, and then all of a sudden, this you know, group of dirty white kids rolls in. It's like, how would you find out about us? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in this, you know, this zine. <laughs> <laughs> totally, yeah. totally. No, I love I love that. And it's, I mean, especially back in that day, everything was, uh, you know, very hand to mouth where you didn't have the convenience of the internet bringing the entire world together. It was just a matter of like. Oh yeah, like this dude said that this place was cool, so we're gonna try it out. Yeah, yeah. And there was no even thought in our head. I think of maybe we're just oblivious, entitled white kids, but we're um, we didn't think it was weird at all to be in deep in the South Side Chicago. And <laughs> yeah, you're fine, right? Well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I heard the but food's good here, guys. I had some dreadlocks. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, you're fine. (laughs) Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. <laughs> the, um, and, and I know that like, you know, as the band progressed and as your, you know, musical expression progressed, that you were, you know, clearly not ever pursuing any of your music from a full-time perspective. So, you know, I know you were a librarian, you were a librarian for the prison system for a while, correct? Or no? Oh, uh, that... That started in 2000, yeah. So right, maybe when Iceburn was ended. Um, okay. And as yeah, for the county jail, and I'm still doing that. We're earning my pension. Um, Got it. So when I retire, I get I can get paid something. 
Right. And then you can tour again. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so as you were, you know, kind of living, uh, not two lives, but, you know, as you were still actively putting out music, um, but then, you know, building a, a life as one does, uh, was that, I guess, important for you to kind of be able to, you know, balance both those sides of your life or was that, or did you desire to be like, man, I would love to make it as a full-time musician? I mean, there's always that thought in the back of your head, but, um, I think for a lot of us that were in Iceburn, um, it was more, um, we have this job so that we have the flexibility to kind of do the music that we want. And so I'm earning money working, you know, at the jail or working at other libraries before that. Um, and I don't have to, you know, compromise my art, I guess at all, or compromise the music in any way. It's like, I can do whatever I want because I have my own, um, healthcare and things lined up. So that was kind of always the thought there that we wanted to be beholden to no one. Sure. Yeah. Self-sufficient to where it's not like you would have any sort of uh, commercial interest infiltrating the, you know, 15 minute long songs you were writing. (laughs) I mean, there is, but I don't know. We, we do think about the audience and sure about what we're creating um, and want to definitely do cool stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely was being reductive yeah, yeah. there, but oh, I, I know. know. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> All of a sudden, this interview is tr- going to take a real wild turn where you're like, you're a dick, right? <laughs> yeah. um, I own it. Yeah, no, I, I understood completely. Um, and kind of along that same line, too, it, it seems like the you know network that you have always worked within and built up you know, working with Greg at Southern Lord, they all are derived from the same root of the punk and hardcore scene. And that just seems like it's always boils through you, no matter what the musical output is, even if it's not aggressive. Um, So is that just something, uh, a function again of your, the people who you have trusted the longest and you have these longstanding relationships that want to invest in you? Yeah, I definitely think so. And I mean, in a way they're long friendships as well and collaborations and um, I don't know. I feel pretty lucky me and Greg Anderson first met, you know, on his or brotherhood was touring with the accused of all bands and we had, my band happened to open up. Um, And so ever since then, you know, crisscrossing across the country he was somebody like-minded and you know we're only born like a month apart so i think we kind of definitely had similar experiences growing up or followed similar musical paths even it definitely diverged there in the middle but um we were kind of i had just moved to la and was kind of pursuing some free jazz stuff maybe in the late nineties and, and he was starting up with doing goat snake and stuff. And even though they were kind of worlds apart, we ended up playing shows together and <laughs> as, as you do. Um, but, um, yeah, I, w- I was kind of unaware of that whole scene that he was a part of. And then I, I come to it later 
and then I see him kind of come to all the free jazz stuff later, you know? So we had like kind of these, um, I don't even know, just bouncing around on similar, um, similar likes, you know? And, uh, we did tour together, Iceburn and Engine Kid. And, um, even when we thought we were kind of a, on a similar page, I think we definitely had our differences. So, Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a interesting path, and you know, he would call me brother from another mother, or sister from a different mister. So, um. sure. <laughs> right? Yeah. Which, and I, I think, I mean, the the thread that I'm trying to pull on here is the fact that when we all have these really similar experiences within the context of you know DIY and building scenes, whatever that may mean, and playing in bands and having all of these common bonds, regardless of the paths that we take, there is that level of comfort that you just have stepping into a person with a similar background. You're just like, oh, you know, I mean, honestly, not too dissimilar to what you and I did when we started recording, where I was just like, oh, yeah, we have mutual friends. And you're just immediately like, oh, yeah, I trust this person. Like, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's cool. We have similar experiences. So I get it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Again, I think with Southern Lord, there's that certain um, you can do whatever you want and we'll um, put it out because we know it's going to be right. cool. So. Right, right. It's that, yeah. honestly, it's the, and th- this leads into a question I was going to ask where I think for as long as I've been aware of you and I've had, you know, these different touch points with you, everybody, <laughs> and you don't have to agree with me. I'm just placing this on you. <laughs> there's this, there's this level of reverence of like, you're like, Oh, Gentry, like, you know, Gentry has been on his own musical plane and has been, you know, <laughs> doing his own thing within the context of, uh, you know, independent music, Salt Lake city, whatever. Um, it, it all, it always kind of, you know, gets, gets traced back to you where it's like, yes, this, you know, this is one of the, uh, the OGs in the scene as it were. Um, but yet you've clearly never bought into the ego worship that happens within, you know, for better or worse for some people being like, Oh yes, like I am this person. Um, was that just, I guess, natural for you to sort of deflect that, uh, for lack of a better term attention to be like, yeah, I'm just, I just happen to be doing this band. Like, you know, you can do the same yeah. thing except whatever. So like, how, how did that kind of ping pong around your head? Yeah. I don't know if I ever thought, Oh, you can do the same thing. But maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, actually I advise you against it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I always felt I was lucky to also have good people around me. And um, so I don't know. I think I learned early on that you need to um, acknowledge that and acknowledge the efforts of everybody in the band um, that's contributing. Um, So I'm thankful to them. And it it kind of, for me, being in music so long, by the time this latest ice burn came around, it was like I found myself playing to everybody's strengths. and kind of maybe even creating the music for the, for the group. Um, so that everybody kind of was doing what they want to be doing. Um, and, but to avoid your question even more, um, maybe 
it's fine. I, I, but yeah, I, some people may think I have an ego, but I was always, I could just be quiet and not say anything. And then somebody gets super intimidated and that's what happened a lot (laughs) in, um, certain situations. It's like, I don't, I don't even know what to say, so I'm not going to say anything. And then you end up being this weird, mysterious, dark figure in the corner or something. (laughs) Well, it's, I mean, it's funny that you say that because I I do think there is a little bit of that, the, um, not like personally what I, I would view you as, but there's definitely that concept of the sort of music that you create, it being so quote unquote heady and like, you know, uh, not playing to what people might typically define as, you know, any one music genre. It's just like, it could be that level of pretension, like, oh, Gentry thinks he's like, again, this is hyperbole, but like Gentry thinks he's better than everybody. Like, I can't talk to him. Like, he's just going to, you know, spit out music theory at me or something like that, you know? Yeah. And it's like, no, he just doesn't know how to interact socially. So. I'm getting better. Yeah. No, hey, you're doing great. I, I, I would define you as a normal conversation at this point. There we so. go. <laughs> um, and a, as you were kind of w- watching your, um, you know, your younger siblings start to navigate the punk and hardcore world. And, you know, like you said, with, with your younger brother singing for Ludax and, you know, I didn't know the lifeless connection. Um, was it Was it one of those things that you did they like come to you for advice or, you know, were you going to them? I mean, it sounds like you were going to your littlest brother to help out with artwork. Like how did that, I guess, symbiotic relationship work? Oh yeah. They don't, I don't know. Um, either it was too awkward or they never really came to me with, with too much. Um, me and Tyler, my brother have had talked about, you know, doing various things over the years, but it never came together, like trying to do something together. Um, and for whatever reason, just never really came to fruition. But, um, yeah, I, they, they don't really care what, maybe they care what I have to say. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or you're just, they developed yeah. this, kind of hard thing i think uh we have kind of a tough love family in a way but okay but i mean not totally it, it's a weird complex thing and i think it you know it goes back through families to grandparents and other things but um sure so you're like a you're like a family <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of kind of kind of weird. All those uh, those things work where it's it's never simple and complicated at the same time. Yeah, for truth. <laughs> yeah, and then um, I know you have. Do you have two children, or do you have more yeah. than that? Okay, you know, just and I, they're pretty young. I came to sure. very late in life. Sure. So, how is that experience of like? You know, I mean, I'm sure as they age, they will understand your, you know, interest and passion for music and the creative process. Um, you know, is that one thing that you are trying to, you know, instill within them or are you trying to mm-hmm. let them obviously find their own voice? I'm sure there's a mixture of both, but, um, you know, are, are they aware that uh, music is important to you? Like, how's that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, throw up some YouTube video and there's dad up there. Oh, <laughs> it's kind of interesting for them and cool. Um, and Ruby used to do a crazy, almost throat singing version of Twinkle, Twinkle Little Star. So um, she was kind of more into the words and, and she would just bang on an instrument and then sing over it and stuff. Um, and that's, and Ruby's going on five here now. Um, but has, she's like listening to little Nas now or something. It's like, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> maybe sure you're like, but I mean, it's good stuff that I, it, I don't know. My world is kind of turning on, different things but she's definitely um someone who can just make up a song maybe she's heard me do it just like make up silly random lyrics that all flow together or you're describing your day and she ends up you know coming up with melodies and rhyming it together um or not and um so she kind of has a weird little natural gift for that and i i don't ever push them too hard i try to play good stuff around and play classical music to so they can kind of hear pitches and get those things in their mind because at, at that age they're really open to a lot of those things and they can you can end up kind of you know understanding um music and pitches in a different way i think if you're exposed to things like that early on. Um, and the little dude, Thoreau, he's, he's kind of just barely talking now. So, um, but yeah, Oh, he'll out of nowhere. He's just like started humming or singing the, um, Adam's family theme. He's like, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> so, and they do the whole step thing where, you know, no, 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 and I'm like, whoa, you guys are so they they have some cool like musical memory um going on that I try to encourage. Um but yeah, it's like Ruby's really into insects, so of course let's let her learn about that. And right. Learn yeah, all of that. Right. She was telling me about how roly poly bugs are not they're crustaceans, they're not bugs they're more related to shrimp or something <laughs> oh wow that's yeah. cool yeah and you're like and you're like hey here's a chain of strength record no, i'm just kidding yeah. <laughs> the uh last few things i want to hit on before i let you go was the um you know clearly with the uh i, I mean would you call it a i guess a resurrection of iceburn i mean i know you've always been in active and inactive but um whatever we'll label it as such the resurrection of iceburn um time coming Right. Uh, and like you said, this is more akin to your earlier stuff than, you know, what you had been doing over the past 10 to 15 years. Yep. Um, I'm sure it felt, uh, did it feel, I guess, weird to go back to, and I don't mean weird in a bad way, but it did, did it feel interesting to uh, exercise those muscles that you have maybe hadn't exercised in quite some time? Yeah, I think it was kind of a weird gradual process for us. And as we played more kind of reunion type shows or we'd 
play a bunch of the old stuff, you know, every couple of years. And then um, we started coming up with new stuff that felt, you know, like it was in that vein and like we all kind of understood our roles. And um, I th- for us, I think we look back to those records like Hephaestus and um, around the Poetry of Fire era and stuff. Um, and even Metatavolutions we wrote when Chubba was in the band and then he left and it ended up being um, Dan Day recording that with us. But um, I think those the formal approach on those um, where we, you have, you know, written parts and you have improvised parts and they can come together differently um, each time. And there's little cues that, you know, we worked out years ago that, so just got to give the right head nod or something um, to bring in the next part. And uh, so I think one of the weirdest things with the new record was trying to, go back to the vocals because um, I definitely sang a lot differently when I was younger and I was self-conscious of a lot of it. So um, with Eagle Twin, I get to, you know, tap my Mongolian throat singing side and I love it. So it just feels right. super natural and and it's like almost putting a little distortion on your voice and stuff. And I guess there's a bit of that in the new Iceburn record, but I didn't want to, you know, just come in with Eagle Twin vocals on the Iceburn record. So it took right. a bit. It, it, that was probably one of the trickier things is trying to um, find something that felt right um, for it. And, and plus the words, um, it's always been really easy with Eagle Twin. I feel like a real strong connection to the lyrics first, and then, and then the music kind of comes after that. But uh, a lot of the Iceburn stuff we were coming up with, uh, you know, the music and the forms first, and then I'd have to go back and and try to fit lyrics in there. And I find I don't enjoy that as much, even though it came out it comes together well in the end typically, but um, right. yeah, it's, it's trickier. Sure. Well, I mean, honestly, just from a, you know, outsider's perspective, it just sounds, you know, like clearly you're not going to sing like, you know, first seven enter fire on style, but like, it just sounds like an adult version of yourself, right. you know? <laughs> so it's like, Oh yeah, yeah. This is Gentry singing, but like, he doesn't sound like a, you know, 22 year old or however you were old you were when you recorded that. Yeah. Yeah, which is good. I mean, in my opinion, because it, it it's different than your like you said, all of the projects that you've done, you know, recently. Because yeah, you don't want to just yeah. seem like it's square peg round holing it. Yeah, for sure. And I presume that you got hooked up with Victory via the Insight guys, and like that kind of bubbled up that way. I'm guessing. Yeah, and then the seven inch, which was so Iceburn in the beginning was mostly Insight dudes, and I. At the very end of Insight, I was touring with them, toward um, playing guitar, and then Jeremy was playing bass because um, he's like told me I was a better guitarist than him, and I don't know, if I was 
I was trying. I was trying to learn. So um, uh, what ended up happening, so we had the, what is it, uh, five of us. Um, and then Jeremy and Jamie, we had written Fire uh, with all those guys. Um, and we had the whole album ready. And they were like, we we're going to bail. We'd been playing live. And I think it was just draining for everybody in a way like for them i find it awesome to put yourself totally out there the entire set and just give it your all and i feel they kind of thought it was a little bit too much and they wanted to try some different things so jamie and jeremy left um jamie ended up coming back of course for a lot of the iceburn stuff and is in the current version of it. Um, but yeah, so we ended up, me and the bass player, Chuba, Doug Wright was the bass, um, recording Fire. And so I think that was even weird because it was supposed to be Jeremy singing on those. So I was kind of, that was my first foray into even trying vocals and i was like right. screw it i'm going to do it all and people were cool and encouraged me and um <laughs> that that was the end result uh right yeah. <laughs> and and i do you have uh, you probably have some interesting story of like being on victory in that time where um <laughs> there's so there was so much probably confusion about why you know, Iceburn is really, I mean, there is probably less confusion where people can make that straight line between, you know, insight and Iceburn and being friends. And obviously victory yeah. at that particular juncture, wasn't the monolith label that they were in the late 2000 or the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. uh, but I, I'm sure it was still just a funny experience for you where it's like, Oh, Tony Brummel, even score, like, let's go. <laughs> oh, I told this. Sorry, my phone. You can edit that. No, no worries. I will. <laughs> I'm finishing this thing. I'll be up in a second. Okay, bye. Well, yeah, there was funny times. It was. I never had a huge amount of interactions with Tony, mm -hmm. and, and then later, later, I ended up. Uh, a few years after the fire and thing, getting a volunteer lawyer for the arts that was in Chicago, I filled out all these paperworks and, um, he ended up help, helping us, uh, you know, get some money from victory in an actual like count of accounting of what had been sold. Um, so kind of had a tumultuous re relationship because of a lot of that stuff. Um, I remember going to his house in the middle of the night. I think Chubb and somebody went up there and just grabbed a bunch of merch from him. But um, yeah, I never really had too many interactions. Um, we did have sure. this roadie that pissed him off really bad one time. Um, we are all at this vegan restaurant and eating and I think, and it, so it was Sundahl, Eric Sundahl. Um, we called him PF. Um, maybe I 
heard it was for popcorn fart one time. I don't know what it is really <laughs> right. for. Um, but Tony was talking about veganism and uh, PF started singing um, suicidal tendencies, but changing it to I'm not vegan. You're the one that's <laughs> vegan. Institutional. Um, and Tony got really bummed out about <laughs> all of that. <laughs> but um, and of course, PF just kept doing it. Um, made the whole night pretty awkward. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> I love. I love it. I mean, yeah. you could not get a more like appropriate ninety story. <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, you know, and you have a. Do you know the Sundolls at all? You, no, I don't. Oh, okay. Well, they were part of the kind of Huntington Beach scene before that and then they ended up moving to salt lake when we're a big part of that kind of straight edge uprising here as well um okay so they're i don't i'm surprised more people don't know them but they were part of the sloth crew um early on oh okay um down in in huntington beach and stuff and it's funny that's where um revelation ended up um, of course yeah a bunch of those dudes like in the so um, kind of a bunch of interesting connections, of course. You can trace them all out. but Yeah, no, that's, um, that, that, that's that beautiful. us back to the beginning and the <laughs> I'm not vegan story. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's perfect. I love it. I love it. Well, Gentry, I'm not going to punish you any longer, but um, this has been great. Thank you so much for okay. letting me ping pong around your uh, musical life. And uh, yeah, I'm just uh, excited you continue to show passion for music because, uh, you know, we, we like it out here, my friend. Great. That is <laughs> wonderful to hear. There you have it. That was the Salt Lake City scene in a nutshell, right? Well, I mean, not really in a nutshell because there's so much more going on there. But regardless, Gentry plays a very crucial role to that. And I am so excited that he decided to uh, spend time in this podcast because he clearly has better things to do. But he was like, no, let's hang out for an hour. Let's do this. So, yeah, please, please check out the newest release from Iceburn. Check out all their stuff, because if you are a fan of adventurous heavy music, that is what Iceburn will do and give to you. Next week is, of course, another great episode. This one is with Justin Fornoff from Wrist Meets Razor, a band that got thrown into the whole... And I hate... Man, I really, really despise... <laughs> this description of this particular music scene, but the whole Scrams scene, um, which is obviously just kind of an offshoot off of Screamo. I'm not even going to pretend to parse the language there, but uh, Wrist Meets Razor just put out a new full length on prosthetic and is really, really good. It's kind of like, I don't know, like 18 Visions adjacent mixed with like Orchid. There's a lot of stuff going on um, mixed with like modern metalcore. It's just really, really cool stuff. So I had to have Justin on and plus he lives in Las Vegas and anytime anybody lives in Las Vegas and is supporting the scene out there, I am always down to have a conversation. So that's what we got next week. Justin from Wrist Meets Razor. And until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Check the backseat.
seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.